Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Rodriguez, with my co-host, Scott Kaznack, today. Uh, talking about the Super Bowl and previewing between Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots. Uh, obviously, a lot of extracurricular information going on this week with the Bogazi and Marshawn Lynch controversies and all kinds of things. So we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, on the field, which is what we'll be trying to focus on today. Uh, sorry for a little bit of a late start. We're from a mobile location today with some so with that, let me go ahead and bring on Scott, who's been waiting patiently on hold as I tried to find uh, some working internet. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know why they call it the country accent, but I, I was going to say I, I didn't know uh, I didn't know Marshall Lynch was from Texas, but uh, that's a new one for me. <laughs> That was good. I, I'm, I would say let's go back and try that again so you could nail it, but I don't I don't know if I really want to hear you attempt it again. <laughs> Sounds better in person. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, Scott, obviously a lot of the talk this week, like I said, has been about the off-the-field mess, whether it's Media Day and, and all the that, or whether it's Marshawn Lynch and, and his middle finger to the media, or whether it's the deflated balls. Uh, everything that's been talked about this week, Scott, has revolved around the hospital stuff. And so the on-field matchups really haven't gotten as much play as, as you would think they would in, in such a you know really historic matchup between these two teams. Obviously, the Patriots are going for another Super Bowl ring to, to kind of cap off the end of their pseudo-dynasty over the last 15 years. I don't even know if you can call it pseudo at this point. Uh, and, and the... Seahawks trying to cement uh, the beginning of what they hope will be a very similar legacy to to start kind of the uh, the next era, uh, the next you know we've we've seen the, the new quarterbacks come in and the the older wave of quarterbacks start to fade out with Manning and Brady nearing the end of their careers, uh, and so you've got really like I said the kind of the clash of two different eras, two different potential legacies. Uh, you would think there would be more talk of that and more talk of the, the on-field matchups between the two, which I think is fascinating. We haven't seen as much of that so far this week, so we're going to really try and focus on that. Let's start with the Seahawks, Scott. As you look at this team and you look at the potential injuries that have been reported coming into this Sunday's matchup, uh, what is what is the most important thing regarding those guys that, that may be injured? Who, you know, who's the most important guy that they absolutely need to play on Sunday? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's really the closest Super Bowl I've ever seen going into the game. I mean, it's hard to really pick a winner. Uh, Teams are so evenly matched and, you know, have a lot of uh, favorable matchups against each other. And, um, you know, the health of the Seahawks is definitely something that would usually dominate uh, the story. I mean, remember, Heinz Ward was hurt going into the Super Bowl, Dwight Freeney, uh, Marquise Pouncey. You know, it seemed like every year there was always that injured player that, uh, took up a lot of the news time, and you know, I haven't really heard much about uh, Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas, but you know, I, I think it's Earl Thomas just because I think Sherman's going to have a game where I think you know he won't be tested too much, uh, be on that right side. I don't think Brady's going to go there too much. I don't think the receivers on New England are really capable of beating Sherman with any consistency, but um, you know, I, I just think Earl Thomas is a guy that needs to be very active, and it was his, I think it's like a dislocated elbow or shoulder or something like that. I mean, what's going to happen if he tries to tackle like Garrett Blunt or Gronkowski or somebody big and, you know, lands awkwardly on it? And I mean, you know, that's going to be very uh, difficult. Right. And we've talked before about the matchup with Gronkowski and what, how big of a problem that is for defense with the matchup. But despite uh, some Seattle defenders uh, this week claiming that issue's not really a problem. Uh, it, that's kind of the brashness we're used to seeing from from Seattle, uh, but Thomas is such a big part of what you do against against a guy like Gronk. Not because Thomas would mess up one on one with him, that that job maybe would go to a, a Cam Chancellor or one of their their long linebackers, but but Thomas provides so much help over the top, and he's he's a security blanket there that allows them to have those one on one matchups with Gronk or or to double team Gronk. Uh, that that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So I definitely agree that's a huge uh, huge boost for Seattle if he can play and if he can be effective. Uh, and if not, it, it's a big blow to to them. Uh, his backup, I'm trying to remember his backup's name. Um, I remember he played a few he played a few snaps last week against Green Bay when he was able to go. But but he's not been the guy who they've obviously had to rely on that role as Thomas has been such as a stalwart for them over the last couple of years. And that would be a big, you know, a big downgrade if he wasn't able to play. Um, when you look at uh, the other side of the ball, New England, uh, their defense, Scott, who's who's the biggest guy for them that needs to have a good game in order for them to stop Marshawn Lynch uh, and and the play action game off of that with with Russell Wilson? Yeah, I mean, I think Jamie Collins. I mean, someone athletic, uh, you know, has had good games against Andrew Luck and the Colts and. Uh, someone that can spy Russell Wilson, and um, I mean, yeah, I think the the both teams don't really have great wide receivers. Uh, you know, they have guys that can make plays, get open, but you know, no one that's you really count on to dominate the game that you have to you know double team, really pay close attention to. So I, I can't really say Darrell Revis, but I think yeah, he'll have a good game. Um, but you know, I just think it has to be someone up front, and to me, with Vince Wilfork. Uh, yeah, not exactly. You know, he's up there in age, not exactly dominant up front anymore. So I don't really look at him as the key guy. Like Max Unger, you know, has a decent matchup there. So yeah, I think you need someone that's athletic enough to you know, rush the passer, to drop in coverage. Um, you know, we see again this Seattle offense basically has two wide receivers. I mean, it's Curse and Baldwin. You know, Percy Harvin was traded. Paul Richardson was on is on injured reserve. You know, you got these other guys like uh, I think his name's Ricardo Lockett and like Norwood's a rookie. I mean, they just don't have 
any real production to speak of. So it's basically the two wide receivers, and obviously New England has some good corners. Um, you know, you get Luke Wilson, the tight end's been playing a lot better down the stretch, and he could be a big part in this game. But, um, you know, I just think with New England, their pass rush is not consistent at all. They don't have a sack this postseason. Uh, Chandler Jones, Rob Ninkovich, you know, not exactly guys that are going to win a lot of one-on-one battles. Um, you know, Seattle is an offense that will give up a lot of pressures, but, uh, you know, I think Jamie Collins is a guy that needs to stand out uh, big time. And for Seattle this week, a lot of the players, including Russell Wilson, talking about uh, Marshawn Lynch and, and how big of a part of the offense he obviously is, and, and saying right off the bat, uh, we need to feed him the ball. If we can get him to be the MVP of this game, then then, then we win this game. Scott, how important has Lynch been, you know, to this offense, not just this year or just the last couple of weeks, but, but over the last you know, three years with Russell Wilson coming in? Yeah, I mean, this year they had their best rushing game, and part of that is Wilson's rushing. But, I mean, obviously Lynch had another great year. Um, you know, they, they got – with him not having a good Super Bowl, but you know the offense in general last year didn't have to do much, and they had a twenty-nine nothing lead, you know, in the third quarter, and the game was basically over. So you can't count on that to happen again. Uh, you know, Lynch didn't do much against Carolina a couple weeks ago either, and that was one of Wilson's best games. Um, you know, very uh, on time with the passing that night in the pocket, unusual look for Seattle's offense. Uh, so that was a different kind of game. And, you know, I think you look at the game two years ago against New England, Lynch didn't have a big game. Wilson, again, another one of his best passing performances. And, you know, to me, I think Bill Belichick is going to target Lynch as the main thing to stop in this offense. And, um, you know, I, obviously you can't let him go off for a 100-yard game. And, I mean, Seattle's in good shape if he does. But, you know, I think – yeah, this is an offense that's limited on weapons, and you have you know Darrell Revis can probably take away whoever you put him on, Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Hurst. Um, you know, you shut that receiver down, limit him to one or two receivers, and you know contain Lynch, make Wilson make Wilson beat you, you know, with great throws to not great receivers, and that's why I think Seattle's offense struggles. And while that all sounds good, you look at their season. They still find a way to score a good number of points almost every week with what they have, which isn't much. So, again, I mean, it's an offense that uses a lot of misdirection, a lot of play action, a lot of the zone read, a read option, um, a lot of bootleg action. I mean, uh, you know, Wilson is very good at getting outside of the pocket and making accurate throws, and he's going to have to be on target in this game, cannot have the bad 55 minutes like he had against Green Bay uh, they'll get blown out if that happens. But, you know, I just think Lynch has to have a huge game. But, you know, I think that's what New England will directly plan as their number one thing to stop. But, um, you know, I mean, Lynch isn't the greatest receiver, but they have some plays designed for him, uh, some throwback plays, some screens. So, I mean, he can help in that way. I mean, we've seen the big the big catch against Green Bay down the sideline, that part, big part of that comeback. So, you know, it's not always rushing with Marshawn Lynch, but, um, you know, again, it's a run-based offense. And to me, I still think that's the key to this game, really, for both teams. You have to run the ball well. And I think we've seen when they lost this year, it was usually the running game. I mean, they both lost to Kansas City. 
Um, you know, both of those, Jamal Charles playing very well in those games. Um, DeMarco Murray and the Cowboys, obviously very run-oriented. We're able to get that win in Seattle. Then you go back to week one, even, with New England and Miami. No Sean Marino had a great game. I mean, Ryan Tannehill didn't play that well. It was No Sean Marino carrying them. So, again, I mean, you take these teams out of their home buildings where they play so well, put them on a neutral field, you know, or they're not as sharp. And, again, I think both teams will be looking to get the ground game going. Now, if you're New England, Scott, how do you look at this game and, and you say that you're going to defend against Marshawn Lynch in Seattle better than, than you did against a good running team like Baltimore a couple of weeks ago when Justin Forsett went off for, what, 129 yards, uh, 24 carries, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he's averaged over five yards a carry. Uh, you know, this is the area where, where New England has struggled defensively is that run defense. And so, I mean, is this just a case of where, you know, you're Bill Belichick, you're just saying, okay, we're going to come up with a game plan that's not going to let another running back do this to us. Right. I mean, again, it's been such a strange season. I, I like lose my, I lose my face in the numbers more and more each season, I think. I mean, you look at New, <laughs> Eng- you look at New England and you go, okay, I mean, I was reading our Super Bowl preview uh, Aaron put up this afternoon, and New England's run defense very improved down the stretch this season. Um, you know, very I think number two ranking since week ten or so. And yet, you know, Baltimore comes up there without Eugene Morrell at left tackle, and they just ran all over him with Justin Versett, and they looked good. I mean, they were pushing that line. Um, he was getting a lot of consistent uh, quality games. It was a very good running day. And yet a week before, Baltimore could not run for anything in Pittsburgh. And, yeah, the Steelers, <laughs> were, playing, still, Steelers were playing pretty good run defense down the stretch, not not that, not up to their usual standards the past years when they were a legitimate top defense, but they were playing solid. Not that good. I mean, Baltimore just couldn't do anything outside of one drive. They had one drive. They had like 37 of their yards. I mean, they just couldn't do anything on the ground. And then they go up to New England, and they're running all over this team. And then, you know, the Colts, I mean, their running game actually didn't look that bad in New England. It's just that the game was so far outreach, you couldn't really, you know, stick with it. So, again, I mean, it's just so crazy. I think both teams in the Super Bowl, there's a lot of talent in the secondary. Uh, it's hard to throw against these teams. So, again, both of them have some run-stopping uh, problems, and that's where I think both teams need to attack. And, you know, obviously Blunt and Lynch are similar backs. I mean, Blunt's a poor man's version of Lynch. Um, but, you know, they're similar in how they run and, uh, you know, bruising style, break tackles, uh, still got some good speed and cuts, but, you know, similar kind of backs. And I think, you know, whichever one, I hate, I hate to even say it, but whichever one rushes for more yards will probably be on the winning team. Got to run to win. That's, that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, down uh, that play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> staying on, on Seattle. Uh, side of the ball here for one more thing. Uh, you wrote this week about Russell Wilson and his, his ability to hurt you from outside of the pocket, you know, scrambling with the ball, making throws outside of the pocket, um, yeah, and how that's kind of progressed as his career has gone on. How much of a factor is that going to be against this New England defense, especially if that, that secondary can lock up his downfield targets? Yeah, I mean, I think he it has to be a big part this week just because I don't think they have the talent to spread the field and beat you from the pocket, really, against this defense. But, um, 
again, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy league where we've seen Baltimore. I mean, New England's postseason has been very hard to uh, quantify versus what the expectations were because, you know, we've seen Joe Flacco go up there and tear them up pretty good for most of the game with, you know, Torrey Smith and Steve Smith. And, you know, I think Marlon Brown had the most catches in that game. And yet, you know, you look at the Colts and go, oh, they got all these, you know, great, the great T.Y. Hilton, and they still got Reggie Wayne, they got Moncrief, they got all these receivers, Nick's coming on, they got two great tight ends, the Patriots are 30th against tight ends. And what happened? Nothing. I mean, the tight ends, did, I think Cubby Fleener had like one good drive. I mean, they did absolutely nothing. And yet, you know, Owen Daniels the week before looked very good. So, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to predict what will happen anymore, but, um, yeah, I like Wilson in this game. I mean, you looked at mobility. Um, it took me all week to write that article. I'd like to do one on a couple other of these quarterbacks in the offseason, maybe Kaepernick and Luck. You know, just looking at not just scrambling uh, in terms of running, but scrambling to throw the ball, extending the play. You hear about it all the time. And try to put a number on that. Try to look at plays that were, you know, in the general offensive flow of the play call and not just improvised. And generally I found that Wilson – about a third of the offense with him is improvised in a sense, or it's thrown off time because of pressure. They allow, you know, the Seattle offensive line allows a lot of pressures. And their right tackle, Britt, who was hurt for the NFC Championship game, and he's one of the worst trade tackles in the league. So him coming back, I'm not sure is going to really help. So you have to get Wilson on the move. And they roll the pocket for him a lot, and he's very good in those plays. And you look at it, you know, they give him different uh, levels to throw to. He can throw short for medium, long, and, you know, he just has enough speed to get out on the edge and pick the receiver that's most open, and he's good at throwing on the run. And, um, obviously, they do bootleg uh, action a lot of times. They do read option, where he's been very successful um, carrying the ball, keeping the ball. I think I read that he only keeps it about 18% of the time, but when he does, he's averaging... Um, I think eight or nine yards of carry, and he's had six touchdowns using the read option. So, again, he's uh, very difficult to tackle. Uh, he loves the slide, not going to give up a big hit, um, smart runner. And, you know, he gets a lot of good scrambling. Um, not t- He doesn't leave the pocket when there's no pressure. It's usually a wise decision because of pressure. So he is a smart scrambler, and he's very effective, I think, nine yards a carry or so this season when scrambling. So uh, it's definitely a big weapon, and he has to use it. And, I mean, you know, you play Bill Belichick defense, you, they're not really used to – you're not, not too many quarterbacks in the league that can play like Wilson did. And I think if you look back to the 2012 game with San Francisco, they went into New England and just absolutely destroyed them. I mean, it literally should have been like 51-3 to at one point, but uh, – I think 28 was the highest lead they got in that game. And, again, it's a different kind of offense, run-based in this era of the pass-happy teams. And, uh, you know, they play physical. And it's going to be, I think, a very interesting battle. And unlike last year where, you know, we kind of downplayed the strength versus strength matchup of Super Bowl 48, Denver's offense and Seattle's um, defense, which really did decide the game. But, uh, you know, I think in this one, uh, Seattle's offense is under a lot more pressure than last year to do something because you can't get too far behind the Patriots. We know that. A uh, very hard team to come back from, though. Not so as hard when it's not in Foxborough, but uh, you definitely don't want to get behind too much like they did against Green Bay. 
And again, I think, you know, if you have to, again, their team is not going to abandon the run, but, you know, Wilson, he's definitely going to have to play a lot better uh, than he did against the Packers. Yeah, and you look back at that Carolina game, and, and Wilson played so well, especially on third down, and that was a huge part of their offense being able to move the ball and score point in that divisional game. Uh, but the New England defense is much stronger in the secondary than, than the, the Carolina defense was. Carolina, obviously, that the strength of that defense is that front seven, the big reason why they were able to slow down Lynch and, and make Wilson make some of those plays on third down. Uh, and it's going to be a little bit different matchup with New England. All right, so let's go ahead and flip flip sides here, Scott, and look at that New England offense. Uh, a lot, you know, there's not, when I look at these two teams, they're not similar, but you see some similar themes in terms of versatility. Uh, obviously, Seattle is, is very run-heavy, and that's the lifeblood of that offense. But now that they do have Russell Wilson, and they have him in this role where He's not carrying the team offensively, but if they need him to be that guy and, and have a game like he did against Carolina, he's shown that he can do it. Like, he hasn't necessarily shown that he can do it every week uh, or that he's going to be that same quarterback every week. I and mean, we saw it last week, we saw him struggle against Green Bay. But he can be a guy where they can turn to and, and have him carry him if, if that run game isn't quite as potent. Uh, New England, obviously, it's a little bit different. Uh, New England, they can have Tom Brady carry him and throw it you know, 50 times and they did that against uh, against Baltimore. Then the next week, they went, you know, against Indianapolis, they they put it on the ground and just demolished the Colts on the ground. So they're even more versatile in that sense that they can really they can destroy you either way. Um, but they're going up against the, a Seattle defense that uh, is the best of the era. It, it's the one that's been compared to those great defenses historically. It shut down. Uh, one of the best offenses historically last season in the Super Bowl. Obviously, that was a little bit of a, you know, uh, what can go wrong, will go wrong kind of situation for Denver. But at the same time, this defense has shown that multiple times throughout the last two, three years. This isn't any, there wasn't anything new, uh, and neither was this season where they, you know, they really put on some great showings uh, throughout the year. Now, we talked about it last week, Scott, uh, or maybe it was a week before that, but the Seattle defense hadn't faced a top quarterback for, what, like eight weeks until they played against Aaron Rodgers last week. And, and the Packers were able to have some success. Uh, obviously, we talked about it last week. They, they didn't finish in the red zone as much as they needed to to win that game. Uh, but they were still able to, to, to put some points on the board. Uh, with the ball at times, they were able to move the ball right down the field for the game-time field goal at the end to get into overtime. Now that you're going up against a Tom Brady-led offense that's Dana Hawk, an offense that's been versatile, uh, you know, what are the biggest keys for Seattle defense to be able to slow down that win with the deck? Yeah, I mean, to me, this is the game that the Patriots have been saving Gronkowski for. I mean, I, I just think, you know, there's been games this year where he didn't get that many targets or catches, wasn't a huge part of the game. And if anything, I think that was maybe by design to limit the hits that he takes so that he can be healthy for the playoff run and, you know, get to the Super Bowl. And, you know, he hasn't been healthy in the past and uh, end of seasons. And, you know, to me, I think they're going to unleash him like there's no tomorrow on Sunday. And, you know, I think, you know, the Seattle defense has had some issues with tight ends and a lot of them were earlier in the season. Um, you know, the Antonio Gates masterpiece performance in week two with three touchdowns, you know, something like that was a long time ago. And, you know, they've had some changes. Uh, you know, some guys got healthier, Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, 
Um, but at the same time, this guy is the best tight end in the game. And, you know, he's a guy that we could be looking back as the best to ever play the game at tight end. And, you know, to me, this is the game that they are going to unleash him on. And um, he's really the only receiver, I think, that scares Seattle, you know, more than 15 yards down the field. You know, seam passes that Brady can throw to him. Uh, such Brandon LaBelle doesn't, doesn't scare you? <laughs> No, especially if he's going to be on Sherman. But um, <laughs> even with one, even with one arm, I mean, I'm giving giving Sherman that matchup. But uh, yeah, and then yeah, you know, your little white guys that can run their little five yard angle arrow routes or whatever. But uh, I mean, again, it's Gronkowski. He's just unbelievable. You look. I mean, I seen that catch again, the one against Denver with the one hand this this year. <sighs> just oh my god! I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I mean, the dude is just ridiculous. And you put him in the red zone. You, anytime you put him outside uh, on the receiver, I mean, it's just almost an automatic touchdown. And, yeah, so if I was coaching and I seen that, I'd automatically put two guys on them. I mean, even if you're going to say, all right, we're, we're absorbing two defenders into one, you still got, a, you know, numbers. That, you know, it's still, you know, take Brady's running out of the equation. He will scramble, but you're not going to fear Tom Brady scrambling. So, you know, it's still kind of 10 on 10 or 9 on 9, depending on how you look at it. If you're going to shut down Gronk with two people, there's no way I let that guy out there in single coverage on in uh, inside the five-yard line. It's just it's stealing for the Patriots. And, again, the red zone matchup, yeah, it's very interesting because that's usually where the Patriots shine throwing the ball anyway. They're not going to hit big plays for touchdowns, and the Seahawks just don't allow those. So, you know, it's going to be inside the uh, 15-yard line where all the, you know, big, uh, scoring plays happen for New England. So you know, a guy like that's obviously your number one target. Um, and I just think he's going to have you know a monster game, and he has to. I mean, I just don't see who else is really going to – I think, you know, Edelman can move the chains and maybe have like a nice eight catch for, you know, 75-yard kind of night. But, you know, he's not going to make a big game-changing uh, plays for your team. So, I mean, it's I'm really about throwing the ball. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean we got this little. Uh, <laughs> well, did you see what Tony Tony Dungy did the same thing I did on Twitter on Friday night? Did you see that? No, I didn't. Do. He came out on Friday night and he said, he, he said somebody pointed out to him that the Patriots had an illegal formation on the Nate Soldier touchdown against the Colts should have been a penalty. The only thing he didn't do was put a picture like I did. He tweeted that. Then he came back later. He didn't even. He never deleted it. And he said that uh, he missed somebody on the uh, on the line of scrimmage or something. And, oh really? Yeah, I, was I, I didn't see the second one. Yeah, so he did the same thing I did, and they didn't even delete his. But you know what? I was watching um, NFL Network on Monday. This was Friday. On Monday, and you know how there's like a million different former Patriots on NFL Network. Well, Willie McGinnis and like and someone else was saying they were showing highlight plays for New England season, and they showed that Nate Soldier touchdown. And I don't know if it was Keith Evans or Willie McGinnis. One of them said, yeah, that was an illegal formation. should have been called back. So there's still, you know, there's still like this yeah. misunderstanding well, somebody, about this. I think that it was somebody from the league office or one of the referee guys came out and said that it was, and they should have called it back. And that wasn't just like today or yesterday, I think. But I mean, obviously, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> no, it wouldn't matter. But again, it just speaks to this whole ineligible versus eligible yeah. little trick little trick that they, they they didn't they didn't really break this out until they were down fourteen points in the third quarter in the playoffs against Baltimore and they started pulling these <laughs> shenanigans and 
I mean, you know, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's something you would see in like Little Giants or Mighty Ducks, you know, some of the '90s sports movies for kids. I mean, you know, they and, pull and up you little do. trick plays. You got to do what you got to do to win, man. <laughs> Deflate balls. I mean, you know, it's worth it. I mean, I think, I think, I think they'll go be looking at that in the off season, what they could do. But yet, for sure. one more game this year. Yeah, they can maybe get away with something like that, and it could be a pivotal play. I mean, if it's a difference between a touchdown and a field goal, you never know. And um, I mean, again, they're going to resort to whatever they have to do. And uh, again, I don't like it. I just think you know the four linemen thing. I think that's lame. I'd love to just tee off on the quarterback on that play. But uh, again, that's the kind of things that you have to prepare for if you're Seattle. And yeah, you know, Seattle's defense is pretty. Uh, basic as far as defenses go in today's NFL. They just have so much speed and good execution and talent that that's how they succeed. But, I mean, yeah, playing a Tom Brady offense is going to be different. But, again, you have to say that you can trust this defense. I mean, you hear about, you know, Russell Wilson's 10-0 against Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. But, you know, screw that. The stat that matters in those 10 <laughs> games, in those 10 games, they're giving up 13.8 points per game on defense. I mean that is wow. unbelievable. Um, yeah, that's number one. That's number one. That's league leading production against the best in the game. And yeah, I know Eli Manning's in there twice, so that kind of skews it. But still, nobody <laughs> has put up more than nobody has put up more than twenty three points on this defense out of those elite. You know, out of those whole future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So I mean, it is definitely a different challenge, but. Yeah, and again, Brady put up 23 in Seattle, but yeah, you know, I mean, come on, you got Aaron Hernandez and Wes Welker catching touchdowns. Uh, they're not going to be there Sunday. Yeah, let's look uh, at the run game. Obviously, that played a big part in the AFC Championship game uh, down the stretch. Really, throughout the whole season, it played a big part, especially once they signed here at Blunt. Uh, Jonas Gray, you know, played well for them when he needed to. But uh, Blunt has been a game changer for them since the the Stephen Ridley injury and 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 Shane Green obviously being more of the the passing guy. So you know, Blunt, when you look at what he did against the Colts last week, you know, the, the Seahawks defense is a much different animal. But but did you see something out of him in that game? Uh, you know that the, he's he's a little more than just just a guy a guy that flamed out of Pittsburgh. I mean he was he was pretty spectacular in that game. Yeah, I mean, definitely his last two best games have both been against the Colts in the playoffs. And, and yeah, so. against, <laughs> against the Broncos and the Ravens, he didn't do it. He did absolutely nothing. I mean, he barely outrushed us from home a couple of yards in those games. So, I mean, it's so I think they're going to rely on him as the lead back in the game. I think, you know, to me, the Shane Vereen, they like to put him out wide. To me, the advantage against Seattle is the have the running back in the backfield, catch short passes. You know, Philip Rivers did that a lot in week two. And, again, I mean, the running back has to be a big part against a big part of your game plan against Seattle. You just – if Brady's throwing 50 times, they're going to lose this game. Uh, yeah, you have to have the running back be a big part of the game. Uh, not just – I mean, again, he needs the carries, uh, just to, you know, give the uh, passing – the receiver some rest. I mean, just – you need the carries to balance things out, give them something to think about. And, again, receptions are big. I think, over, you know, the short passes over the middle are kind of where you could catch this defense sleeping a little um, between the pass rush and the linebackers, that little spot there. So, and again, I think Green's a good guy for that. But they like to put him out wide, and I don't know if that's a great matchup in this game. But, 
again, I think Blunt will get most of the carries. And, I mean, if he's having a good game, then, you know, the Patriots are definitely going to have some advantages when they go to play action passing, which uh, they actually use play action a lot this year, top 10. Um, they actually are not the shotgun-heavy team they were in 07. That they kind of, you know, they kind of pioneered that, you know, shotgun uh, as your um, base offense. And this year they were under 50%. I mean, they're right near the bottom of the league and using shotguns. So, and, you know, we've seen in the past teams that use shotgun a lot against Seattle, they have a hard time. You know, Seattle defends the shotgun passes better than any defense in the league the last two years. So, uh, again, there's a lot of advantages. And, again, I don't think it's not going to be like, – Kurt Warner, I think his records are safe for the passing yardage in the Super Bowl. Uh, don't see an aerial show really coming in this one. But, um, again, I think it's going to be a lot of uh, old-school play action, run the ball, tight ends, that kind of game, both sides. You know, uh, in their game against Kansas City, uh, which a lot of you know Seattle says is, was kind of the turning point of their season, they lost Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City ran for 190 yards in that game. Uh, since then... The Seahawks in the regular season gave up just just one game of more than 100 yards, but also even just more than like 70 yards. I think all of the rest of their games, except for one, which was the San Francisco game, they kept them under under 65 yards. Uh, their two playoff games the last uh, couple of weeks, they've given up 132, 135 rushing yards. Now it's to Carolina and and Green Bay. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a big big part of it again for New England. Uh, like you said, they need to have the running back be big part of the game plan. Tom Brady can carry the offense, but against the Seattle defense, especially if, if Sherman and Thomas, Sherman and Thomas are healthy, then uh, that, that's obviously not something you want to be attacking, playing and play out. Uh, so like you said, both sides of the ball need to be able to run the ball. Uh, we're not going to see, not going to see that aerial show. All right. Got, uh, outside of the game, then when we're looking at, the big picture with these two teams and what a Super Bowl would mean for their legacies. You know, where do we stand here? And we talked about it last year with Denver going into Seattle and how much this meant for Peyton Manning and for his legacy to be, you know, in that that conversation. He is obviously in that conversation of greatest of, of all time. But we talked about it last year. You said, you know, I think you know, Peyton wins this game. He's he's the greatest of all time. Well, now we've got Brady here. And uh, he didn't have anywhere near the statistical season that Peyton has had over the last couple of years. Uh, but he's here, and he's he's in a situation where he could win his fourth Super Bowl. Uh, he's in his sixth Super Bowl, the most ever by a quarterback. So, you know, what happens for Brady and his legacy if he wins this this game? If they win this game, is Tom Brady the greatest ever? Well, I mean, you go back to Super Bowl forty two against the Giants, and yeah, you know, there was all the talk right then and there. I mean, greatest season ever by a quarterback, nineteen and zero. They win this game. You know, he's the greatest ever, four Super Bowls in seven years. And, yes, we know how that game went. You got four years later, another Super Bowl against the Giants. The same same question, really, you just said, could have been, was being asked at the same time. I mean, the fourth Super Bowl ring, um, you know, does that make him the greatest? And we know how that game went. So, I mean, again, I don't know how many, how many times you have to lose the game that makes you the best ever before <laughs> maybe you just realize that they're not the best ever, but... I mean, again, the discussion is always going to be there, and it's always going to have the same few guys in it. I mean, some people might even, you know, include guys like John Elway and, you know, I don't even know, uh, you know, Johnny Unitas and people like that. But, again, I think, you know, the Montana, Brady, Manning, I mean, those are Marino. Those are always the names that are going to come up. And, 
you know, for me, I don't think anything he, he does on Sunday can't really change anything for me. I mean, if he goes out and shreds the Seahawks and has a great game, and then you could probably say it's his best playoff game ever. I mean, that would be one thing that you could say. And, again, I just don't think, you know, the four Super Bowl rings, I mean, I mean, Terry Bradshaw won four, Bart, Bart Starr won five rings, and a lot of people won't even put those guys in their top ten. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to let the rings decide the thing for me, but um, – I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, it will elevate him. But, um, yeah, again, I just don't think – I mean, if he wins, like, some 16-10 kind of game where Garrett blunts the star, I mean, does that make Tom Brady the greatest quarterback in the league? I, no, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, it's just a ridiculous way to look at things. I mean, again, his it's like as if his performance is irrelevant this week. And it's just like a win or loss kind of thing, and that's just the wrong way to look at it, yet – uh, fortunately, that's what a lot of people do. I mean, his performance should matter. And you look at his five Super Bowls, uh, I think he was only great in one of them. And that was the Carolina game, which you know, I still think is his best playoff game. And uh, he was very good against the Eagles, too. But um, overall, he doesn't really you know, have great Super Bowls like Joe Montana did. And, I'm not, and Scott, you know that I'm, I'm – line up more with your point of view on these kinds of things than, than a lot of people do. Um, and, I, you know, we talked about it before, the, the rings conversation is such a, a debate that's going to rage on, I mean, forever. As, as long as there are hot takes, there will be rings debates. Uh, and, and Brady's obviously going to be at the forefront of that. On the other side of the ball, when you look at Russell Wilson and his potential, you know, when his second uh, Super Bowl ring in, in three years, You've got a situation, and like or not, where where we're already starting to compare him to a guy like Tom Brady and asking if he's the next Tom Brady. And to some extent, there's, I mean, obviously they're very different players, and they're in different situations, although somewhat similar in terms of having a strong defense and, and a strong support system without necessarily great weapons, but having a you know the, the support of a run game and defense and coach. I, and I think coaching you have to throw in there as well. But you look at Wilson, and you look at you know, the similarities between him and, and Tom Brady's, you know, passing statistics and, and the uh, similar situations as, you know, players and roles in their respective offenses, you know, beginning of Tom Brady's career and Russell Wilson's now. I mean, are we, are we seeing a similar perception of Russell Wilson as we did in, uh, with Tom Brady early on in his career? Yeah, I mean that's basically what I wrote last week for Insider. Um, basically, basically what you just said. And to me, Wilson is more impressive than Tom Brady was a decade ago. And mm-hmm. again, I compared, I compared it to 2001 to 2003. That was his first three years as a starter. Uh, some jackass in the comments decided to just throw out 2001 for no reason and make it 2002 to 2004. And uh, I'm thinking, like, dude, do you even read the article? I mean, what are you even doing? I mean, <laughs> 2000, 2004 was probably Brady's best season um, before 2000, before the West Welker, Randy Moss thing. You know, his first seven years in the league, 2004 was probably his best season. And, you know, we'll see what Wilson does next year. But, I mean, that's next year. For a guy that started week one as a rookie, you know, his first three years, I think he's more impressive just because – Again, the playing. I look at the playing style. I mean, yeah, he's not he's not throwing it forty times a game. He's never even thrown it thirty eight times in a game. But yeah, you know, he does run the ball a lot, either by design or scramble, which you know, obviously is just not something Brady's 
and you know in his skill set. So I mean, that, those are impressive plays. And you know, he throws deep passes very well. He throws them with accuracy. I mean, you look at you know his offense; they don't run a bunch of screen passes really, especially when you lose Golden Tate and you lose Percy Harvin. I don't even think we talk about that too much. I mean, he started his career with Sidney Rice and Pers- and Golden Tate. You know, two pretty good receivers, underrated, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, you look at Golden Tate, how good he was this year playing in Detroit with more volume. I mean, he's a very good receiver. And Wilson lost him. And, you know, the Percy Harvin thing did not work out. And, you know, you're down to Doug Baldwin, who, you know, was your number three a couple of years ago. He's your number one. And Jermaine Curse, I mean, you know, that dude's not really – number two material, and like we said, they don't even really have a number three right now. So, I mean, he is working with, you know, not the greatest uh, cast, and, you know, he has to make a lot of these plays, you know, improvise uh, the offense. And, again, his pass protection, always one of the most pressured quarterbacks, but also one of the best under pressure when you look at what he does on those plays. And we know Brady struggles when you pressure him just because of that lack of mobility. So to me, you know, Wilson is more impressive. And you could look at the playoffs again. Tom Brady, he led his offense to 29 points in the first playoff run, you know, two and a half games combined. You know, Wilson's averaging two points a drive in all seven of his playoff starts. And, you know, they haven't all been good. Um, you know, the Saints game, he really didn't do anything. Um you know, even the first game against Washington, he was just okay. Um, you know, the Green Bay game, we obviously have talked a lot about the, how horrible he was for 56 minutes. But, of course, you know, he came through in the end when he had to. And, uh, again, I think, you know, his statistics just, you know, adjust them for the era, even going back to 2001, 2003, they're as good as Brady, that's not better. And, you know, again, I just think his yards per attempt is over a whole yard better. Uh, than Brady's was from that era. So to me, I think playing style, a uh, huge uh, advantage to Wilson. And, um, you know, again, just more impressive to me than early Tom Brady. Does that mean he's going to be better for his career? I don't have any idea because, you know, it took Tom Brady, what, eight seasons before he had that dominant year when they surrounded him with talent. I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe a, a reformed Josh Gordon goes to Seattle and yeah. plays like he should. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're probably better off talking about um, somebody going here on their second contract, like uh, I don't even know, or uh, Odell Beckham or something. I don't know, but um, some draft stud in the future. You never know. I mean, something could change in Seattle where, you know, he starts putting up 40 touchdown seasons. We don't know that because I would have told you 10 – um, what the hell year is it? Uh, 10 years ago, I would have told you there's no way in hell Tom Brady's ever going to throw 50 touchdowns. I would have told you 10 years ago, but you never know. And we, obviously right. the league's changing. So, again, I mean, I, I'm not going to – and, again, it took, it took Tom Brady and Drew Brees um, like six years before they threw 4,000 yards. So, I mean, they, it takes time. I mean, Wilson's still got room to grow. I mean, he, he had an incredible rushing season this year, which you know, doesn't gets overlooked a little bit because of the numbers, but um, – because of the passing numbers. But, again, I mean, I think he's off to a better start than Brady, and – yeah, it's a, been a great three years, and you know we'll just see what he has to see what he has in the future. But um, you know his start has been every bit as good, and I'd say even better than what Brady did. I will say for uh, Brady's credit, uh, while he did have a really good defensive team around him uh, in those those early years, the, I don't think he he did have quite the same support that that Wilson has offensively, obviously. Marshawn Lynch and the rushing rushing team. I mean, it's been one of the the best in the league for the last three years. 
Uh, Brady had a rushing game, but he he didn't have a Marshawn Lynch. Um, and then in the past game, you mentioned, I, I just thought Sidney Rice and, and Golden Tate and Doug Baldwin, that trio was so underrated as a as a trio. Um, Baldwin was a really good third receiver. As a number one receiver now, eh, not so much. But those first, you know, those first year, that first year, maybe last year a little bit as well. As a third receiver, as a second receiver, you, you know, you can do that. And, and Golden Tate, obviously, he's gone from Seattle now and still been able to put up huge numbers. You know, when you, we saw uh, we saw Tom Brady's receivers leave, you know, Patton and uh, what, was, what was the branch, Deion Branch, they, when they left, you know, they, they went nowhere. Uh, and, and so I think there is a little bit to be said about that, although, granted, you could say that Golden Tate's situation in, in Detroit was a little bit better than where, where Branch and, and Patton ended up going. But in, overall, in the, you know, I, I just think you look at both of these two quarterbacks, and, and our perception of them, I think, is is very similar. I mean, there was a tweet today from uh, some magazine or something. You know, if if Russell Wilson wins the uh, <laughs> Super Bowl, is he a Hall of Famer? Well, <laughs> we're three years in, man. Let's just slow our roll a little bit. But uh, you know, I think we're in the you know similar perception where you you get put into a good situation early, and you you know you win early, and then our perception of quarterbacks just skyrockets based on those early that, that early performance. You know, Scott, we've talked a lot about about uh, Aaron Rodgers and the fact that they've come up short in a lot of big games, and that they've you know they they have failed in in some of the comeback situations and holding leads and and in the playoffs. But because he won that Super Bowl early, you know, the mainstream media we don't really talk about Aaron Rodgers' failures in big games very often. I mean, it's just not something that comes up. I mean, he's just kind of a de facto number one guy, and we don't even talk about it like we did with a guy like like Peyton Manning or like a guy like right now, like we're talking about some you know everyone sometimes with uh, with Andrew Luck, even though he's you know won playoff games. So you're winning Super Bowls and and having that team around you can be a huge boost to a quarterback's career early on and uh, allow you to develop a little bit slower on a bit of a slower curve and, and that'd be okay. And I think, I mean, like you said, nobody would have necessarily predicted Tom Brady to put up the numbers he did, you know, in those first few years, but you, you grow into that. And uh, I, I think Wilson has the, that same kind of potential. Although I, I, like you, I'm not going to go ahead and say Russell Wilson's going to be in the Tom Brady conversation in 10, 15 years. All right. Uh, Scott, anything else from the Super Bowl that we need to talk about before we hang it up? Well, I think Pete Carroll's another interesting part of this. I think, yeah, you know, the yeah you know, wasn't too great at New England. wasn't really a huge failure though. Um, you know, I think that you could say Belichick had a bigger failure in Cleveland than uh, Carroll had in New England. But um, you know, such an interesting career he's had with the USC. Guys, watched. I was watching the football life on the 2006 Rose Bowl. Still the greatest college football game I ever watched. But, um, yeah, they were so close to a three-peat. I mean, you had Lendell Whalen fourth down, going for it, didn't get it. And Vince Young fourth down, I guess the game-winning touchdown. Uh, So close to a three-peat. You know, one of the all-time greatest uh, runs of success in college football, regardless um, yeah, that USC team, and yeah, you know, he comes to Seattle, and you know, they get laughed at for the seven and nine season, making the playoffs. But you know that that Marshawn Lynch run to beat, you know, clinch that win over the Saints, and that kind of turned things around for this team. And you know, you get the Russell Wilson in the draft, you know, stabilize the quarterback position, and 
you know, really we've seen this team, you know, be arguably the best team in the league for three years now. I mean, they finished, I know they finished number one in DVOA the last three years. Uh, pretty crazy. And, uh, again, I mean, every decade has had a dynasty and, you know, you look at Seattle and you think all well, the pieces have been there to get this one going and you have to win, you have to win Sunday to, you know, to make that kind of claim. And, you know, two, two, two in a row, Hasn't been done. I mean, this is this is the longest in NFL history we've gone without a repeat champion. Nine years. That's even going before the Super Bowl era. So, I, you know, just throwing some stuff out there that you know how, how things tend to work out. You know, the young team, the young quarterback, don't have to pay a lot of money. You know, I mean, the last fourteen, the last fifteen Super Bowl winning quarterbacks were age thirty or younger. The only older guy was Brad Johnson, and somebody had to win against you know him and Rich Gannon were geezers by comparison. So. Um, again, it's usually how it works. The more comp- I think you would argue Seattle has the more complete team, even though New England I think definitely has a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Some of the best players in the league at you know key positions. I mean, quarterback, safety. I mean, quarterback, uh, tight end, uh, corner. So I mean, you got some really good players on this team. But you know, Seattle obviously is very loaded on both sides of the ball, and you know, Pete Carroll has done a great job with this team and. I mean, he's almost – he's a win away from really, like, Jimmy Johnson territory, I think. And I don't know I don't know the college game too well to know Johnson's full college resume at Miami. I know it's very good. But, yeah, you know, I think you could almost argue if a win on Sunday, Pete Carroll will have eclipsed him. And I think Johnson was a Hall of Fame finalist this year, which kind of took me by surprise. But, um, yeah, he started talking about Pete Carroll, and he's, like, 63, I think. So, you know, he's not done yet, obviously, and, you know, he has – a lot of enthusiasm for the game. So you could be talking about him trying to make a Hall of Fame uh, case for him uh, at this point. And, again, it's been very impressive what he's been able to do. And, you know, obviously taking down Belichick in the Super Bowl would be a big, um, you know, big uh, plus for him. So, uh, you know, definitely, I mean, I think Belichick, uh, we you know, we could talk about the cheating stuff uh, some other time, but I think his legacy, win or lose, is you know, pretty much determined already. I mean, right. uh, a fourth a fourth Super Bowl would be big, but you know, I don't think he has to win it. I mean, he's been to so many Super Bowls already. But, you know, I think his legacy is pretty secure. But, you know, for Pete Carroll, uh, number one would be uh, pretty big for a guy that, you know, they kind of laughed out of town. Especially for a guy, you know, when you're looking ahead in the future of, of the Seattle team that's going to be hit with uh, some big decisions regarding the cap over the next few years that, that could, you know, impact how that team, you know, looks in the future and, and their chances of obviously going to another Super Bowl. So for him to get another one early on, uh, early on in this potential, you know, dynasty or whatever you want to call it for Seattle, I think would be big. All right. Well, then, Scott, prediction time. Seattle, New England, who you got? Well, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been saying this for about eight years now. Every time I pick against New England <laughs> in a big game, they win. So, I mean, let me state this very clearly here. I think Seattle has a great chance to win this game. Okay, I'll repeat it. Seattle has a great chance <laughs> to win this game. But I'm going with the New England Patriots 24-20. Rob Gronkowski, first Super Bowl MVP ever for a tight end. Oh, you took my score, except I was going to go Seattle. Now I have to find a different score. All right. I'm going to go 27-24 Seattle. I don't really like picking scores that high, to be honest, in this game, but I'm going with it. 27-24 Seattle. All right. Well, there you have it. 
Uh, we will be back next week again, uh, probably uh, probably Thursday again, and probably year four, year three or four. Uh, we'll be back to recap Super Bowl and, and to do a quick look into the offseason before hanging it up for the summer. I uh, really appreciate everybody listening this year. It's, it's been a fun year, and uh, we will look forward to potentially doing this again next season, although obviously offseason we'll have to have that conversation. But, Scott, I've, I've really enjoyed doing it with this with this with you again this year, and uh, looking forward to Sunday. So uh, we can find Scott at f o underscore Scott Casmar on Twitter. That's Casmar is K A C S M A R. Uh, and as always, you can find Scott's work on Football Outsiders as well as ESPN Insider Football Outsiders. This piece I mentioned earlier on Russell Wilson scrambling is fantastic. It will take you a long time to read. As as always with with Scott's work, but it's well well worth it. Uh, anything else, Scott, this week that uh, people should make sure they hit up? Yeah, it took a long time to finish that piece too, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. I think I'll be having my Super Bowl preview up on my blog probably on Saturday. I have to put that together, and um, yeah, I just want to say yeah, it's been a pretty it's been a good season here, and uh, looking. Looking forward to a potential classic on Sunday. I know we didn't get I know we didn't get one last year at all, but yeah. I have a have a good have a much better feeling about this one will be worth worth the wait. Absolutely. And if you're not aware, I believe Scott's blog is is Captain Comeback at WordPress.com or, or CaptainComeback.com. It's it's on his Twitter feed as well. So you can find it there. And uh for me, no Super Bowl previews or anything this week, but uh some Colts related content if you're a Colts fan listening. Uh, on Colts Authority to end this week. We'll have some more up and uh, also on Bleacher Report as well. So, as always, you can find me on Twitter at CA uh, underscore uh, Colts Off. Actually, it's Colts Off underscore Kyle. <laughs> I'm going to change that. I'm going to change it. And that's what I was thinking about is what I'm going to change it to. But anyway, right now it's still Colts Off underscore Kyle. Uh, and yeah, you can always find us on there pretty much all hours of the night and day for NFL and Colts Talk. So, Uh, We will see you all next week after a potential classic. And with that, we will hang it up for this week. See you guys next week, and uh, stay safe.